0: Any good salesman knows, at a minimum, you have to know your market, you have to know your audience, and you definitely have to understand your target demographic. You have to know people and how to get them to see your point of view and and how to get them to say yes as though it was their idea to begin with. But to make a difference and be self-sustaining, what are your KPIs? What, What are your measures to success? What are you aiming for? There's an example, today in my industry, 2% of a company's available spend on my services should equate to 25% of my annual revenue for us to be aligned successfully. Excellent sales folks, real hustlers. They instinctively know more. They know their market percentage matchups, and they understand their whale market percentage. They execute on a level that causes measurable disruptions, yet behave as though they don't care. Maybe they don't. They execute tactics that shouldn't work, but somehow make it look easy, and, and they stack money on accident because it's a side effect of their hustle. Then, there are the elite. The guys that pull off moves so audacious, so grotesquely efficient, that people have to notice. Moves that not only do not make sense, but should actually generate loss and, and never do. Are these game changers or crazy people? Or Both. Let's find out. My name is Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method. Western Ranch grew. I had a comfort in Western Ranch. I had friends. I had family. I had access. Rachel's house was in a very convenient spot for this. And a few doors down from Rachel's was her aunt. And her aunt was married to this white guy named Mike. Now, Mike and I would spend a reasonable amount of time together. I was still kind of laying low at my parents' house. I'd slide over to Mike's, which wasn't too far from there, and and we'd hang out. And the one thing that that he was able to do for me uh, was give me that time to evaluate, because as he and I hung out, conveniently, I was getting connected to new people, and, and for that matter, reconnected. What I mean by that is, I don't know if you all recall the the story I had told about the guy that was talking to my girlfriend at a turn, and I threw him off the balcony, right, Jerry? Jerry used to run around not only with those cats that I mentioned before, but there was there was another guy'. His name was Robert, Mexican dude. I drove a badass Mustang, black on black, clean ass ride. He was from the Bay Area. He was one of them cats that was out there kind of trying to get his hustle on out at the ranch. Uh, he was not great at it. You know, there's there's a difference between a dealer addict and an addict to dealer. And I know that that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but the truth is, there's people that are born to hustle, right? They, it doesn't matter where you put them, they will figure out a grind versus an addict that's just trying to sell in order to keep their addiction going. Two different people operating on two different planes. But Jerry and Robert ran around together, um, and they also knew Mike. Now, I'm not going to presume to understand how everybody linked prior to my getting involved here. That's not the story we're telling here. That's not – I'm not telling their story. I just know that they were connected. My My guess would be in part from Chris because he spent a lot of time in that area while I was away in Arizona. They knowing Chris, who in turn Mike. Okay, so let's just say it all connected that way. These guys were able to introduce to me more people, and they seemed to know all the other cats. It was interesting because they may not have been all from the same place in the Bay, yet they gravitated to each other. You know, guys from San Jose, Oakland, Hayward, Concord, anybody that wound up out on the ranch somehow gravitated to each other. So, so Robert and Jerry were hanging out one day and they kept talking about Pedro, 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 Pedro. And I'm like, okay. So they were like, Hey, we're going to go over to Pedro's. It's cool. His dad, this and that. We can just kick it in his garage. And I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'll go with you guys. So we go over to Pedro's house. <laughs> If you guys recall, I also had mentioned that I worked at a, a truck stop that was near the ranch. And, and that's when I was trying to call Raul and wound up getting hold of Scott Peterson, that whole thing. There was another kid that worked with us. His name was Pete. I never knew him as Pedro. His name was Pete. And we actually called him bitch ass Pete. Like that was his nickname. It's kind of fucked up. But that was, that's what I was. I was super excited to see him. I hadn't seen him in a long time. I was like, bitch ass Pete. And he was like, yeah, that's me. But we'd party and we'd hang out and, you know, they'd sit around and like, oh, man, like I got this going on and I got this going on. And and it was in Pete's garage at his parents' house that I was staring off across the street from Pete's house was a park. And I just remember zoning out, staring at the park, being just like fully on one. OK, I'm all tweaked out. We're, we're smoking weed, drinking beer. I mean, I was I was good. And I evaluated my situation, right? Because I've now got a better understanding of what it is I'm supposed to be doing right now from the last sit down when I was at the compound. And yet here I am still dicking around, mind you, enjoying myself thoroughly. But it dawned on me in my, I had an epiphanous moment as my body's going in 10 different directions that the two things I love to do and that I'm good at is to party And to talk. Okay, and when I mean by talk, I mean to hustle, to be on my grind. I mean hell, I would even just convince people of dumb shit just to see if they'll believe it. I once convinced my buddy Steve's ex-girlfriend that he could chew on his ear when he was really drunk. And she would ask all the time, have him do it, have him do it. I'm like, babe, do you realize how like it hurts him? You know, he has to be really drunk. And she just bought it until they broke up. We finally told her that it wasn't true. And she was mad. I couldn't believe it. I thought she was just playing into the joke. Anyway, sorry. But that was the kind of shit I would do to people. I'd convince them of dumb shit just to see if I could keep a straight face. It was like practice for game time, you know. But those are the two things that I was good at. The one thing I didn't realized I didn't want to be was the guy everybody was constantly calling on. I didn't want to be the single source, if that makes sense. I knew I needed to make something happen out here. And I need to kind of do it quietly because I've seen other people get too loud. They get hung up on the uh, on the power trip, if you will. I don't know. I, that's never been my thing. The outward power trip. Now, mind you, I live with one on the inside. But uh, I realized I'm sitting with step one. Okay. I got, I got Robert, I got Jerry and I got bitch ass Pete sitting here and they know everybody in the ranch. They know everybody that I'm trying to gain access to. So this is where I hatched this plan where I would let it be known what's available and then restrict the access. I knew there were other people in the ranch and people I Ultimately wound up doing business with, and we'll get to them and people that I'd never heard of. And we just did business around each other. I I know they existed out there, but they didn't have what I had. They didn't have the quality. They didn't have the volume and they didn't have the support. I went home that night or maybe it was the next day. Who knows? And this is where I kind of kicked off my plan. Hey guys, I'll see you tomorrow or whatever the case may be. And the next day I ventured out and rounded up a lot of drugs. And I put an ice chest in my trunk, filled it with ice, and filled it with 220 packs of Budweiser bottles. And I picked up Robert, just him, uh, and we drove around and I had him take me from place to place where I would introduce myself and feel the vibe and, you know, Oh yeah, they got, they get high and they'd start getting high in front of me with their shit. And I'd let them smoke a little of their own and I might try a little bit of it. And then I'd be like, you know what? Hey, check this out. And I'd pull out a massive bag and I just started loading pipes here, 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 keep going, keep smoking, keep smoking, keep smoking. And then You know, enough's enough. Hey, everybody's clearly on one because they've dispersed and they're tweaking out on God knows what. You know, in whatever area, whatever garage or room we were in, somebody's now building something. And that was my cue to leave. But before I'd leave, I'd be like, hey, everybody high enough? And most of them be like, oh, they wouldn't even answer because they were so fucked up. But if they were like, nah, let me hit one. Fuck yeah, here, get high, get high. And then I'd just bounce. And it was rinse and repeat. It was house to house to house to house, meeting people. In every house, I'd open the trunk, I'd grab two beers, and we'd go in. And I would drink two beers. the About the amount of time it would take me to get through two evenly drank beers was probably about enough time for me to start cutting loose. In any of those visits, I did two things. I showed that there was a better product out there. And I let credibility to either Robert, Jerry, or bitch-ass Pete, whomever it was I was with. We, anytime I'd leave, I'd be like, hey, you know, get a hold of Jerry if you need anything, you know, and I, I pushed the credibility to somebody else. Those are your access people, you know, because it, still it's against the rules. Like it would be against the rules for me to go to these places and just assume that it's cool to like – peddle my wares so I acted holier than thou with the rule and didn't make any assumptions hey get a hold of them if you need anything and I mean hell there were times I would I'd just come back just to get everybody loaded you know and it took some time I went through a lot of drugs because the word had to get around and people are like oh who the fuck is this what's going on Mind you, I'd been in the neighborhood a long time. They've seen my car. They've definitely heard my stereo system. You know, we may or may not have crossed paths in the past, but there was a lot of showing up that I had to do, which is fine by me. I'm getting the love and attention that I'm so desperately seeking for some reason, you know, from absolute strangers that don't want anything to do with me except for the drugs that I'm bringing But at the time, I was so wasted, it didn't really matter. I was getting what I needed. I was getting high from feeling needed. And I would just constantly go around and get people loaded. And then they would get the vibe, you know, the the real hustlers that we would come across. And this is how I started weeding out the addicts from the hustlers is because the hustlers would show up with money and the addicts would start looking for fronts. And I was okay with fronting somebody because here's, here's... Here's my position. It's going to cost me an eight ball to never have to fucking see you again. Because if you're the kind of scumbag that's going to take a front and not pay it back, then I don't want to fuck with you anyway. And that's a cheap cost to get rid of you. They thought they were coming up. Now, mind you, again, eight balls at this time were going for 350 bucks. So they thought they came up. For me, I don't know. It might've cost me 50, uh, maybe. That's a small price to pay to weed out problems. And you know what? If they come back with the money, then they were hustlers. They got the grind on, they got the cash in the hand and uh, their next bag will probably be fluffy. Dude, I'll probably overweigh it just for the appreciation that you went and got your grind on. Dude, I will reward behavior. I'd wind up at a lot of parties and these parties would behave just like my visits would. I was a little uncomfortable, I got to be honest, when there was 15, 20 people in a house because I would, as in the intro, I, I needed to understand my target demographic and to try to analyze a room full of 15 tweakers, knowing that there's a good chance that they knew I was coming by. That's why there's so many of them there. So now you can guarantee out of 15 people, there's somebody that's looking to do me dirty. Somebody that can make me a bunch of money, somebody that can introduce me to people that'll make me more money, and then just a bunch of regular old addicts. And it's tough to analyze a whole room that way. But I would go because this was the plan. it It started happening all on its own, like the tree, the organizational structure started falling in place all on its own because I identified what I was trying to accomplish. And how my approach would be. And then I instituted, if you will, layers to the organization of what was happening here. I had guys I knew I could trust. And now I'll be real honest with you. Bitch ass Pete barely touched the shit, but he could turn a profit. Jerry had a problem. He could make money, but he didn't have a real hustler's heart, man. He was a much nicer, softer guy than the people he ran with. And that's too bad. Robert Rob, Robert was a hustler by default because he came from the Bay and the area he grew up in. Like He just had to hustle to survive, but he got a little too high, too. I knew that these guys craved the authority that they got from running around with the dude with all the dope. I knew that that kept them in line, at least for a time. It's important to understand the people that you have around you. It's important that you expect people to be exactly who they are in any sales structure. I took mine in a way that made people cringe because all I did was run around giving away free drugs. I did not sell a single thing. All I did was party and give away drugs. Now, other people sold it and I would wind up with money in my pocket. I got to have the drugs, party with the drugs, reap all the benefits of it, and not have to be on that level of stress. Because I'm gonna tell you, man, sales ain't no joke. Okay, you guys have seen the videos of the stock market floor, right? That place is batshit crazy, and hell, most of them are probably on the same drugs I'm talking about right now. So you know, it's a solid correlation. But the level of stress at that lower level, you know, the stress in the stock market pit, those are the low level guys. Those are the guys getting the money for the big dogs with it. So I'm going to let them take on the stress while I sit back and I enjoy myself though. Somehow. And interestingly, the party and the chill piece was pretty short lived. So I've understood my demographic I'm making moves that are sickening to other people. There's a lot of guys in the game that are living bag to bag, right? They're living off the profit of each bag. And here I am just handing out dope. And it's just infuriating people because they can't keep up with that. The word is getting out the amount of revenue they're losing because I'm just handing it out for free. And interestingly, the first resistance I received was from these cats that lived on the same street as my parents. Now, my parents' street is is a U-shape, and there's a court that dips in around the base of the U and then on one of the sides, okay? So there's two courts in this loop. And my parents' house faced down the base of the U-shape. And down the street, I'd say, I don't know, eight or ten houses down is where that court was. And... Right in that court on that corner house was some youngsters, at least what I thought to be youngsters. And they moved in, I don't know, probably a few years prior to this era that I'm talking about right now. And I had noticed them me being in my parents' house, and I thought nothing of it. And as it turns out, these guys fancied themselves as as hustlers and ballers. And you know, I had caught wind through Robert, who was friends with them. He knew him. Oh man, those fools don't like you. I was like, for what? Like we live on the same street. We should be all right. You know, like they've never even introduced themselves. Oh man, no, that one, I think he said his name was Mikey. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to add names that are dubbed up, but you know, I mean, there was a Mikey and then, you know, old school Mike. So I'll try to keep these guys separate. But this kid Mikey that lived on my parents street, he was running around with dudes that weren't from the ranch and, Every time they rolled past my parents' house and I'd be there, they'd just slow down and, like, mean mug me. And it's just this couple of white kids, like, angry about their middle-class life. I don't know what the fuck the problem was. But I'd just stare at them right back. Like, bro, I've been here. I'm fucking ten toes down, dude. I ain't going anywhere. And I I would welcome, like, there were times I'd walk out into the street. Like, hey, man, I wouldn't call them out. I'd just walk into the street. You want something? Let's do something. Because I'm, I'm hearing that you're talking a bunch of shit. But I'm not going to go looking and dragging myself into the limelight and cause any problems. I'm not going to draw attention to myself if I don't have to draw attention to myself here. But you clearly have some problem with me, but don't want to have a conversation with me. So to me, you either respect what I'm doing and don't like it, or you fear what I'm doing and think you can do something about it. But yet here you are driving right by. There was probably two weeks, three weeks of this, like from the time I caught wind of them having a problem to me being in my parents' house and it was late one night and I had the car parked outside. I was right out front under the lamplight, you know, but I came out and I left. It was probably nine o'clock. I was about to go start my rounds, so to speak. And there was a dude waist deep in my car was very confused by this because my alarm was on yet it's not going off and unbeknownst to me there is a way in 95 civics to pop the window out and the alarm doesn't go off so this cat is like rummaging through my center console I guess he was I don't really know but their car that same car that this guy Mikey rolls around with the guy Mikey was driving it and he had his boy go get into my car So I made sure that Mikey learned a lesson that day. And I beat the fuck out of his homeboy that was in my car. I straight kicked him right in the tailbone because he was bent over into my window. And when I pulled him out, I gave him a few elbows to the face. And when he fell down, my parents had been watering the lawn. The hose was closer to the sidewalk by this point. So I took the hose and I wrapped it around his neck and I stood on the back of his head. And the whole time I told, was telling Mikey, bro, you got a problem? Come here. I got something for you. And it wasn't, my mom came out and broke that up. You're going to kill him. Get off of him. I was like, well, that's a choice he fucking made. I let him go. I unwrapped it from his neck. I realized what I was doing, but I whooped the shit across his face with that, with that hose a few times, just for good measure. It was an interesting night because word of that spread quick. Because prior to that, I was just the chill dude that was getting everybody fucked up and always had the dope and the money and the nice car. He was way laid back. And then all of a sudden you hear about this. And it added a level of mystery. We'll we'll say that. And I've been preaching to you guys since the beginning of this, dude. I was a nonviolent, really nice kid. But I'm telling you right now, that shit would have happened with or without any of the things that I've told you about already. You're not breaking into my car. You're not breaking into taking my shit, dude. I am a good person. If you need it, ask for it. I'll give it to you. To this day, I have not changed. You do not need to break into my car. If you do, you're going to pay the price. I have no remorse for the beating that dude took that day. But I know after whooping the shit out of his buddy... I think they maybe had a reality check of who they really thought they were inside. Because here's the thing, dude, everybody's super brave until they're forced to make a decision about their bravery. And maybe they realized what theirs was that night, or maybe at that point I was just shielded from their bullshit because I'm sure they kept talking shit. I'm sure that that wasn't, Accepted as okay, but I never heard anything else from them. The ranch was getting crazy. And I was keeping it live. I was meeting new people. I was establishing myself with some dominance. I, uh, I put hands on some other guys that think that they were going to disrupt my business. So I'm establishing myself now. I'm doing what I was sent out to do. I'm doing what I'm good at. I'm partying and I'm talking because that's the thing that's gotten me to where I was at this point, understanding people and having good conversations and just partying like a fucking rock star. Who doesn't love that? If you like what you're listening to, please rate all five stars. If you'd love to give some feedback or some input, reach out to me at, my Madness Method on Instagram or MyMadnessMethod819 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, my name is Jason Farias, and this is My Madness Method.